Amen. Well, I would invite you to uh, open up your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at three verses this morning. Three verses that are incredibly personal, but incredibly powerful. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Let me read our passage for us this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is God's word. Now in 1968, there was the Summer Olympics. They were held in Mexico City and Tanzania sent uh, a man by the name of uh, Stephen Aquari to run in the marathon event. And what's interesting about the marathon event, that uh, Summer Olympics in 1967-68, is that of the 75 marathon runners, only 57 of them crossed the finish line because of various injuries, because of the very thin air of Mexico, many of them gave up. They they didn't finish the race. But John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania, early in the 26-mile marathon race, falls, dislocates his knee. He manages to bandage himself up, and he continues on in the race. And near the end of the marathon in which he completes. He enters the stadium that uh, the finish line was in and uh, more than an hour and a half before the decision had already been made, most, if not all, the spectators had gone home and yet there he is crossing the finish line. And a journalist asked him after, why didn't you just drop out? And his response, you've maybe heard this response, he says, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. And it is that theme that we pick up this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is what does it take to finish in our faith? What does it take to be a finisher Because if you've followed Christ for any length of time, there have been seasons that you have doubted, that you have wrestled with. Um, Perhaps that's internally the temptations. Perhaps it's externally the pressures on your walk with Christ. You feel like you can't put another step forward. I remember early on in uh, my education, I did a, a Bible school degree, and one of the professors to a group of early 20-somethings, he looked out at all of us and he said, all of you are praying that the Lord would use you greatly in ministry. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. That is a good prayer. But then he said, 
very quickly that prayer is going to also turn into, Lord, help me remain faithful and finish. If you look throughout the scriptures, there are sadly examples of men and women that started off strong, following after God, and in the later half of their life, faltered. You can think of King Saul. You can think of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who followed God for a a long, long time, but near the end of his life, he really tripped up. He faltered. What is the difference between those that are finishers and those that falter? What does it take to be a finisher of our faith? Perhaps you're in a season at this very moment and you're struggling to follow Christ. Even now this morning, I look over our church. We are a young church. Praise the Lord for that. But the reality is some of us, we may have a very long time to continue to follow after Christ. The reality is we don't know how long we have. Some of us, we may only have days left. Some of us maybe have decades. What does it take to be a finisher of our faith? How do we finish? Well, the text in which we look at is very personal and yet very powerful because we find the final letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And he is writing to his dear brother and partner and protege in ministry, Timothy. And we find the Apostle Paul in his last letter, he is in the Mamertime prison. The Mamertime prison was nicknamed the House of Darkness. This prison was not like penitentiaries or prisons today. The prisons today would be four or five star hotels compared to the prison that the Apostle Paul sits in. It's stinky, it's dirty, it's dark. And Paul is sitting in that prison and he is not going to plant another church. He's not going to preach another sermon. He may not write another letter. But the only thing that he is waiting for is for the Roman soldiers to come to his cell and cart him off to his execution. And the Apostle Paul, through out Second Timothy, has been writing to this young man, Timothy, who is facing all the challenges of being a young man and a young man in ministry. And throughout First and Second Timothy, if you're familiar with it, the Apostle Paul is constantly writing to Timothy, Timothy, I charge you, remember Jesus Christ. Timothy, be strengthened in Jesus Christ. Timothy, preach the word of Jesus Christ. And in verses 6 onwards, the Apostle Paul changes tone. He is no longer saying, you, Timothy, you, you. He is now saying, I. In fact, in verse 5, before verse 6, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. And in verse 6, he moves in to say that his ministry is coming to an end. Timothy, I've fulfilled my ministry, but you need to fulfill yours. And Paul, he puts forth himself as an example of a finisher of faith. Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus is what Paul is instructing and saying. So what does it take 
to have faith that finishes. Well, the Apostle Paul gives three essential ingredients to finishing faith. You want to have faith that finishes? You want to have faith that doesn't falter? We need to learn now from the Apostle Paul. And the first thing he says is in verse 6. He wants to note the perspective. The perspective that he has of his life and of his death. He says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Paul knew without a shadow of a doubt that death was coming, that he was going to be executed. This wasn't going to be like his first imprisonment. He is going to die. But notice how Paul sees his death. He uses very interesting words to describe how he sees his death. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Of all the ways the Apostle Paul viewed what is about to happen to him, he viewed it in terms of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system, or maybe you're not, you want to brush up on that later, you can read Exodus and you can read Numbers, and it talks about the Old Testament sacrificial system. But when it came to an offering for sin, there was always a burnt offering. It was an animal. And it was placed on the offering to God. And on top of that burnt offering, they would uh, mix flour and mix oil and they'd put it upon the animal and it would make that sweet aroma. And then the final thing that they would do on that altar is that they would pour a sweet wine. And it would be a sweet aroma to God. And Paul sees his death this way. He sees his death as that drink offering, that final offering of his life being poured out on the altar of his worship to God. Paul doesn't see his death in legal terms. Timothy, I'm about to be carted away by Roman soldiers and executed by a wicked emperor named Nero. He doesn't see his death in physical terms. Timothy, my time has come, I'm going to die. He sees his death in spiritual terms. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I think Paul saw his death in spiritual terms because he saw his life in spiritual terms. His death was his final act of sacrifice unto God into worship because his life was a living sacrifice unto God as worship. Romans 12, verse 1, he writes this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul saw his death as a sacrifice and as an offering because he saw his life as a sacrifice and an offering. From the moment that the Apostle Paul was saved on the Damascus Road, more than 30 years ago, he has been offering up his life as a sacrifice, as an offering unto God. There was nothing 
more worth it to Paul than to die to self and live to Christ. We see that throughout his letters. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what Paul was up to, it was all unto the worship and the glory of God. Paul's life was not about him. It was not about his success. It wasn't about his prestige. It wasn't about his legacy. It was about Jesus Christ and his glory. Paul knew that a sacrificial death is the final outcome of a sacrificial life. Do you hold this perspective? Do we hold this perspective of our life? We are told to protect our lives at all cost. And Paul's not one to advocate for recklessness or not being wise, but he saw his entire life as a sacrifice and worship unto God. Do you see your life that way? Or is it about your pleasure? Is it about your comfort? Is it about you climbing up the hierarchy of work? Is it about the vacations that you take? Is it about the car that you drive? Is it about the amount of money that you have? Paul saw the perspective of his life as it was all about Jesus Christ in my living and in my dying. And I want this. Do you? Notice Paul, he goes on and he says, after this, he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I love that Paul describes his death as a departure. Paul really understood that his life wasn't ending. It was only just beginning. In fact, that word departure has this idea of dismounting a ship from its port and the ship setting sail. That's how Paul saw his life, that he is about to really experience true life face to face with Jesus Christ. Do we have this view? It wasn't an ending. Paul is moving from temporary to permanent, to passing to eternal. This is Paul's view of life. He was not hopeless. He was not despairing. He was not feeling feelings of futility. He sees what seems as a really depressing thing to the world as one final sacrifice to his Lord and to his Savior. This is the perspective that he had. You want to be a finisher? You need to see your life this way. Paul, he moves on. And he understands that, yes, we need this perspective if we're going to be finishers. But he moves on and he begins to now look back over his life. And he understands that the second essential ingredient to those that finish in their faith, faith is perseverance. Is perseverance. Look at verse 6 with me. Or verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Three times Paul says, I have, I have, I have. And he uses these three illustrations to illustrate what his life was like following Christ, to illustrate the perseverance he needed as he was following Christ and fulfilling his ministry unto Christ. And the first is he understood the Christian walk as a fight. I love that. It is a fight, isn't it? It's a fight with ourselves, our own flesh, our own temptations. It's a fight with the world in which we live and the pressures 
and the attacks from the evil one. And Paul, as he looks back over his life, he says, I have given my life. I have sacrificed everything for the greatest fight that anyone could ever fight in, for the greatest race that anyone could ever race in, for the only faith that is worth keeping. And the first he says is, I have fought the good fight. He pictures the Christian life like a boxing match. I love that. In fact, Ephesians 6 verse 12 He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is how Paul viewed his Christian life, a fight, but not just a fight. Notice he he doesn't say, I have fought the fight. No, he says, I have fought the good fight. This is the one fight worth fighting in. This fight is good. This fight is worthwhile. Paul understood that like boxers, to be great, faithful Christians need perseverance. In fact, I like to think the Apostle Paul would be a really big fan of the greatest boxer of all time, Rocky Balboa. He's not a real boxer. I love Rocky Balboa, and if you're familiar with the Rocky movies, spoiler alert, if you could pick one word to describe Rocky Balboa throughout all the movies, the one word is perseverance. If you're familiar with Rocky 1, it doesn't end like a typical Hollywood movie would would end. We meet Rocky, he is a rookie, he is a nobody fighter, and somehow he ends up fighting against the heavyweight champion of the world. Apollo Creed. And a championship match is different than a regular boxing match. In a regular boxing match, there's 10 to 12 boxing rounds. In a championship match, there is what is called the championship stretch. And those, round, those fights are 15 rounds. And what's so great about Rocky 1 is that Rocky he fights the fight against Apollo Creed and he, he really gets whooped. He's getting punched left, right, and center through the whole fight. But the thing that Rocky is getting screamed at by his coach and by his friends on the side is, Rocky, just lay down. Stop fighting. Stop brutalizing yourself to this fight. But Rocky, he swings to the bell every round And Apollo Creed, he wins by anonymous decision, unanimous decision, and he finishes the 15 rounds. And that's what makes Rocky so great. He persevered through every round. In fact, in Rocky VI, the last uh, movie of the Rocky movies, Rocky says this quote, and I I, I love this quote because it it defines boxing and it defines the Christian life so well. Rocky says it's not how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. The Apostle Paul understood that a great boxer needs to persevere. And he understood that a faithful Christian needs to persevere. He moves into a second thing. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
Paul didn't just see the Christian life as a fight to fight, and he saw it as a race to run in. And he pictures himself as a runner, and he is rounding the track. The tape is near. He is going to cross the finish line very, very quickly, very soon. And he is saying, I have run in the greatest race of all time. I have run in the noblest race of all time. And Paul pictures himself as one who had a single-minded focus on that finish line. That that was Paul's heart and desire. Again, he was so focused on persevering because he had the end so in sight. I want to read from Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. And I want, you to, I want you to picture what's going on. The Apostle Paul, he's standing on the, the beaches of Ephesus. The elders are there. Maybe even Timothy likely is there. And Paul is headed to Jerusalem, which he very well knows is going to end up in him being arrested and ending up here in Rome for his execution. And he writes to those friends, those brothers, those sisters, hey, Paul, don't go. Don't don't do this to yourself. This is what he writes in Acts 20, verse 22 to 24. He says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul had a single-minded focus on finishing the race laid out before him. Like John Aquari who understood my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to complete it. That was Paul's desire. I have one focus, completing the race the Lord has laid out before me. And he sees one final thing. He saw, he, he sees the Christian life as a fight. He sees it as a race. And he also sees it as a faith to keep. He says, I have kept the faith. He recognized that he was entrusted with the word of God and faith in Christ. And notice it says, I have kept the faith. Not, I have kept faith. It says, I have kept the faith, the Christian truth, the Christian faith. As Jude 3 says, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He kept the scriptures He was faithful to the word of God. He kept on believing. He kept living by the truth of God's word. Is that you? Have you lost focus on the finish line? Have you lost focus that you're in a fight? Have you lost focus that the the word of God is central to your life, Christian? Paul understood the importance of the word of God in his life. In fact, maybe you can think of moments or perhaps you're in this moment where you have lost sight of the truth of Scripture. 
And how did Paul become a finisher? He persevered and he kept his eyes on the finish. He kept his eyes knowing that he was fighting to that final bell. He kept his eyes on the word of God, keeping it and holding fast to it. Now, perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, I want this perspective and I want to persevere, but you don't understand the challenges and the suffering and the difficulty that I have faced or am facing in my life. Where does this determination come from? Is Paul just advocating for white-knuckling Christianity? Is he saying you just need to pull yourself up from your, from your bootstraps and you need to suck it up, Christian, and you need to run this race? Where does this come from? Perhaps you're sitting here like, I'm not sure I can keep going. I'm not sure the Apostle Paul really gets it. Let me remind you, the Apostle Paul's resume, as it were, of suffering He was a man that was beaten. He was a man that was bruised. He was a man that was shipwrecked. He was abandoned by friends. He was stoned. He's been imprisoned before. This isn't his first imprisonment. He knew the difficulties of following Jesus. He knew the pain. He knew the struggle. How could he persevere? How could he maintain this perspective? What was the secret to being a finisher? And this is where I believe the Apostle Paul really hones in on what kept him going. And I want us to note the prize. The prize. Look with me at verse 8. The Apostle Paul, as he's talked about, I'm being poured out. I have fought the good fight. What's the end? He says, henceforth, in verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to, have, to all who have loved his appearing. You want to be a finisher? You need to have your eyes on the prize. The Apostle Paul is saying, it is the view of the end that sustains us in the present. It is the view of eternity that sustains us in the temporary. This is what Paul understood. When Christians falter and fail morally, when Christians fail doctrinally, when Christians fail to pursue the Lord in their calling, it is because they have lost sight of eternity, the prize of Christ that life is about Jesus. He uses this term, he says, henceforth there is laid up for me. Laid up carries this idea of being safely stored and carefully guarded. Jesus, he uses uh, this term about heavenly treasure being stored up by believers. He says in Matthew 6 verse 20, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says this in verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, he says, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold 
of that which is life indeed. The apostle Paul had his mind focus on the things of heaven, eternity. It is interesting that the Apostle Paul, of all the writers in the New Testament, uh, emphasizes salvation and the work of God's grace through salvation like no other. And yet no other writer in the New Testament regularly brings it back to the view of heaven that Christians should have. The future focus that sustains him in the present. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, On towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. That was his focus. That was his aim. Paul is looking at what's coming. And notice, he says this. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul is about to stand before one of the most wicked rulers in history. He's going to stand before Nero. And Nero is not going to garner any sympathy for him. Nero's judgment of Paul is going to be execution. And yet that's not what the Apostle Paul's focused on. He is focused on the fact that he is about to stand before a righteous judge. And that righteous judge is going to award to him a righteous crown. And he says these last words, he says, and not only to me, but also to of all who have loved his appearing. He's bringing it back. He's writing to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I've had this view and I know what's coming for me. Dear brother, you need to have this view too. To all those that look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, who are living for not the present, but eternity, your a righteous crown is awaiting you. The righteous judge will be faced by all of us. We will all have to stand before that righteous judge. And I want to ask you, are you ready? Because the righteous judge expects us to stand before him righteously. But you can't. You cannot stand before the righteous judge on your own righteousness because you don't have any. The Bible is clear what is in man, that the heart is deceitful and wicked, that the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. If you think that you can stand before Jesus Christ on your own righteousness, you are greatly deceived. But here's the good news. Christ, Jesus Christ, who Paul has been living for, who, who Paul looks forward to stand before, Jesus Christ has come and he has died and he has resurrected so that he could offer righteousness that he would take upon himself our unrighteousness so that he could offer you righteousness. And that is available to you today. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved to receive that righteousness. And when you receive that righteousness, this is no longer 
something to be fearful of, no longer to be terrified that one day you will stand before the righteous judge because you have his righteousness and he will award to you that crown of righteousness. But Paul, as he comes to a close in these verses, he has been crescendoing and building up to the fact that Jesus Christ is everything to him in his life and ministry. It was never about him. I was reading a story of a, uh, an older man. He was a, a, a godly father, raised his kids in the Lord, and he was uh, late in his 80s or early 90s, and he was uh, on his deathbed, and he was in a hospital and told the nurse, today's the day. Call my family. So the nurse calls up, uh, his family and his children come and are, are around the bedside, and uh, he was able to share encouragements to each of his children specifically. Now, his daughters were there, but his son wasn't. His son was overseas in, in Scotland on mission for Christ, and his son didn't know that his dad was, was going to pass away at, at this time. Later on, he's talking to his sister, and yeah, he asks his, his sister, okay, so dad was sharing these, these encouragements to each of us. What did, what did dad have to, to say to me? And his sister says, dad said, tell bud, ministry isn't everything. Jesus is. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. What does it take to finish? It takes a perspective knowing that it's all about Christ in my living and in my dying. It takes perseverance focused on that finish line, on that bell dinging that it's all for Christ. My eyes are on Christ. And it takes knowing and having certainty that I am looking forward to eternity and that prize alone. That life is about Jesus. Now as we close, do you have this type of perspective? Are you walking through life with this type of perseverance? Do you have your mind and your heart set on the prize? You can. Let us learn from the example of the Apostle Paul and have our minds and our hearts fixed on Christ so that when our last day comes, whether it's days from now or decades, we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we rejoice and we give thanks for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the reminder to keep our minds and our hearts fixed on you and you alone. And Lord, we ask and we pray that we would see our lives now as a living sacrifice of worship unto you. Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.